Welcome and thank you for joining us. Here at Calvary Chapel Eldoret, we believe in impacting and changing people's lives through the Bible, which is the only inspired and infallible Word of God. For more information, be sure to check out our website at ccelderet.org. That is ccelderet.org. And here is today's word. We're in this um, series called Jesus the Death Conqueror. And um, it's very important that we don't rush through this and we get each and every piece that we can. We, we ended last week in verse 18, but we did not cover um, all the points there in verse 17. So let me go back um, to verse 17 and we'll read all the way down to verse 23 and that will be our text this morning. John 20, verses 17. Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace with you, or peace to you. And as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This portion of Scripture is the Gospel of John's rendering of the Great Commission. It is the briefest rendering of the Great Commission out of all four Gospels. Matthew gives us a little bit more details. Luke gives us a little bit more details than this one. But as you combine them all, we get the Great Commission themselves. Each one of them having um, uh, different information. The, the Gospel of Luke in its Great Commission tells us about preaching repentance and forgiveness. The Gospel of Matthew teaches us that we are to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and when you combine those two, you get both aspects of the Great Commission, the, the two foundations of the Great Commission, that's preach the gospel, and after people receive that gospel and are born again, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, then they are to become disciples through a discipleship process. We are to make disciples. We can't rush this. We can't um, look at people's abilities and immediately after they get born again, thrust them into ministry. This is unwise as other portions of the Bible have taught us, not laying hands too quickly on someone. Um, but then you get this facet here. Um, uh, Mark's rendering of it is go preach and these signs will follow this preaching. These signs will follow God's people. 
the apostles especially when it comes to being bitten by snakes and uh, these sorts of things. We see that in the apostle Paul. We see um, them casting out demons. We see them healing all throughout the uh, New Testament. Also, we have uh, borne witness to that through the last 2,000 years as, as we've heard things. I personally have not seen a bona fide physical healing. Um, it's probably a combination of, of, um, of God doesn't do it as much as a personal opinion of mine, but more so than that, and that's a little controversial in the movement I'm in, but more so than that is I probably lack the faith personally. Um, and uh, I, I hope to get some more faith and see some people healed one day. I know Prophet Awar does not have more faith. He has false, um, hallucinogenic and manipulative miracles, so-called, they're not real. Um, very easy to disprove. But you combine that and you come to the Gospel of John, and he goes that, he, 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 he's like, when we preach this gospel, it is so powerful, it is so redemptive that you can absolutely assure people that their sins are forgiven. And those who reject Jesus, as much assurance as the believer has of sins forgiven, complete, absolute, 100% forgiveness of sins. On the other hand, those who rebel against the knowledge of Christ and do not believe in him, 100% sins are retained. They will spend eternity separated from Jesus. There's assurance on both sides. So people get so upset when Christians, no matter how tactful they say it, say unbelievers are going to hell. Oh, how dare, no one's, the, no one's the judge but God. Even Christians say this. No one's the judge but God. God says right here that those who do not believe in the gospel will have their sins retained. They will not be expunged. They will not be forgiven. The debt will not be canceled. So going up, and we'll go through this, we learned why Jesus told Mary Magdalene in one of five visitations on Resurrection Sunday. He visits five times. This visitation with the disciples is one of those five, possibly the last, and probably the last of those five before uh, the day is over. He'll go on throughout the weeks visiting people five more times, a total of 10 visitations after his resurrection, to the point where 500 people saw the risen Lord. The book of 1 Corinthians tells us. And so you see all of this, and we learned last week why he told Mary Magdalene, don't cling to me. He wasn't saying, you can't hold on to me. He wasn't saying, I don't want to touch you. He was saying that you will have to let me go when I go to be with my father. You can't hold on to me. I have a responsibility. 
You have a responsibility. Your responsibility um, in a broad sense is to go share the gospel. In the immediate sense, go tell the disciples what just happened here. And the first time in all of Scripture, though it was prophesied, Jesus tells Mary to go tell his brethren. We now have become, they had become then and still are now the very brethren of our Lord Jesus Christ, heirs to the inheritance of Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews 2, 9 through 10 says, but we see Jesus who made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are things in bringing many sons to glory. So he's bringing many sons to glory. Don't worry, ladies, also daughters. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Also the book of Romans. I'll turn there. You don't have to. Book of Romans 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by where we cry out, Abba, Father, for the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. So not only through the suffering of Jesus Christ, solidified the redemptive atoning work of Jesus Christ through the resurrection, do we become brethren of Jesus Christ, sisters of Jesus Christ, which is incredible, but we also become heirs of Jesus Christ, the heirs of his inheritance. We don't have time necessarily to go through the entire inheritance of Jesus Christ, but the primary inheritance that we have with Christ as brothers and sisters of Christ is being with God the Father. Having a Father that is not sinful. A Father who is complete in his fatherliness. He is complete in his perfection. He is complete in his care. He is complete in his nurturing of his children. That is the inheritance we have, and that is the foundation of that inheritance that is being spoken of here. Sure, we get heaven. Sure, there is, I would say, heavenly materialism. It is different than physical materialism, but no doubt we get that. That's great. But something that God has desperately 
tried to get us to understand while we're on earth that material blessings, though they are a blessing to us, are so much more infantile and less than the spiritual blessings we have even on earth in Christ. It doesn't seem like that to the carnal mind. We struggle, lots of us. Struggle, some of us, to pay the rent, to find a place to live, to afford the kinds of food we want, to have a career that makes us feel financially secure, where we have the funds to pay for our children's school fees and a good, healthy diet for our family. Yes, we can get worried. We can get bogged down in our minds, distracted from the real joys that the Spirit of God has brought into our lives through the Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And, 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 Jesus, and the Lord, Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, the whole triune Godhead, constantly is reminding us through Scripture that there is so much more greater of an inheritance both here and now and ultimately in heaven than any physical inheritance that we could ever get. And we would do good to try to transcend through the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of his word by faith the feelings and emotions and stress we have because of material problems. Joy in the midst of suffering, peace in the midst of financial turmoil or whatever the case be in our lives that we can see with our eyes. This inheritance that is spoken of in Romans, as Jesus calls us brethren, is an inheritance of a relationship with the triune Godhead and made complete and perfect when we get to heaven, but yet still realized here on earth. That's why in Philippians 4, when it talks about be anxious for nothing but in everything with thanksgiving through prayer and supplication, make your requests be known unto God so that the peace of God which surpasses all of the standing will dwell in your hearts richly in Christ Jesus. Well, we can, yes, it is giving us a direct, practical application on how to shovel peace into our lives. But yet, that practical application speaks of what is foundational in that text, and the foundation is we have a connection through a relationship with Jesus Christ, connection through Jesus Christ to the Father. That's it. We can pray because we have a connection. Prayer speaks of relationship. Prayer is talking to God, and the Bible reading is God talking to us. That's the inheritance we get. So when you're alone in your bedroom at night, most of you, for whatever reason, I still don't understand, still single, you're not alone. You have Jesus 
Christ connecting you to the triune Godhead. That's the inheritance we have. Trust me, if you haven't experienced it yourself, it is better than money. I know we feel real safe when we have a pile of money or rent paid or whatever the case. Which, by the way, by way of testimony, we just signed another seven-year lease for this property. It's a blessing. And, and you know why you Kenyans clap so fast? Because you understand land issues in Kenya. It is a blessing. But though the government themselves come and rip this building down, they cannot take away my relationship with God. They can't take away the fellowship that we have enjoyed these last five years in this facility, and they won't take away the fellowship we will continue to have when we relocate this building somewhere else because the building of God, the temple of Jesus Christ, is his bride, and his bride are us, us people. We have an inheritance, and it's an inheritance more glorious than we can ever realize. Unfortunately, as we go on here, Jesus tells Mary Magdalene, go tell the disciples. She goes and tells the disciples in Luke 24, we get what they say. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told the apostles. Verse 10 and 11. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe these women. These women are not liars. They've not been proven to be liars, especially the mother of Jesus. It's Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, the great, wonderful worshiper of Jesus after she had the seven demons cast out of her and forgiveness of all of her sins. Come, and they tell the disciples, hey, we saw Jesus. He's alive. And they said, these women are babblers. <laughs> Just babbling women. <laughs> Men are so dumb sometimes. You guys understand how significant the account of the Gospels are written because women discovered Jesus first? Or Jesus revealed himself to, to women first? Their culture was so oppressive to, towards women, nobody sane would have wrote that down because they thought it wouldn't have brought validity to the Scripture. It's proven here. These women come and they're like these babbling women. Busy body, always talking something. These women are like idle tales. Go cook a meal, woman. You're too, uh, you're too babbling. You're just gossiping. It's like fables, idle tales, idle tales. These women are idle. Go get to work. I want you to go cook some food. You won't have time to have idle tales if you're sweeping the kitchen, woman. <laughs> you know? These guys are ridiculous. They don't believe them. So Jesus appears to them. The 
The same day in the evening, being the first day of the week, the doors were shut because the disciples were afraid of the Jews. There's six points here in these texts, six, six things. We see a persecution feared, a panic increased. Number three, proof shown. Number four, plan announced. Number five, power given. Number six, pardon proclaimed. Number one, persecution feared. These men, except for Thomas, he's not with them, they are inside most likely the very upper room that they were in Thursday night that began the upper room discourse into Friday morning. They're there. They shut the door. No doubt locked it. Maybe barricaded it with a few things because they were afraid of the persecution of the Jews. They were afraid of the realization of the prophecy of Christ that they would receive persecution and they're hiding. They're hiding and then number two, their panic is increased. It's even worse than if the chief priests and the soldiers bang down the door, Jesus comes through the room. He doesn't need to open the door. He's in a glorified body that, yes, is physical, but still supernatural, and he is just in the midst of them. Just boop. He left the road of Emmaus. Boom. He transported in the same way that Philip was transported, in the same way that it described on the road to Emmaus. He appeared before them, then he appeared away. He's just in the room. That would be so freaky. You would just be sitting there like, hey, ah! how'd you get in here? The door's locked. He appeared before them, and their panic increased. It says in Luke 24, 37, but they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. Another word for terrified in some uh, translates as petrified. The word petrified means they were frozen still. <laughs> it's good for us to define what's going on through the language that's given to us. It's hard to recreate. It wasn't just like, ah, oh, Jesus, what are you doing here? This is freaky. No, they were petrified, frozen still. This is way worse than the language given being fearful of the Jews. So essentially what's happened is their panic increases so much more than as if the very soldiers broke down the door and arrested them. They were petrified, frozen still. They see Jesus, as, it's not just like, oh man, they're not even talking, they're like, ah! Let me give you two reasons why I believe they're frozen still, petrified, terrified, beyond fear. Number one, probably the supernatural element of his appearing. The supernatural element of his appearing. He just, 
in the room. This is so much more terrifying because we tend to think that the physical world provides us security and safety from our fears. A locked door. A fence built in a compound that we feel more secure. The wires, you know. It's a strange world moving to uh, Africa, by the way, for an American. You start driving, you're like, why do they have glass embedded on the top of their walls? And then on top of the glass, barbed wire. On top of the barbed wire, electric fences. Who are they trying to keep out? You know, the Hulk? We get a sense of security with locked doors. High walls, barbed wire, expensive electric fencing. Same kind of security that they might have had with this locked door. You notice it says the door was shut. The idea is not that they just shut the door. They locked the door. They're hiding. They have some sort of sense of security in their hiding, in the locked door, in the upper room, on the compound they have, which was probably John Mark's compound. And none of that can stop God from getting to them. None of that. I'm here to say this morning, if you're unsaved, nothing can stop God from getting to you. He will get to you in grace or he will get to you in judgment. But don't think a locked door is going to hide Jesus Christ. Don't think you can keep him from your hiding spot. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. We hope that you've been inspired and blessed. For more teachings and other resources, visit our website at ccelderet.org or call us at 718 496. That is 0718-012-496. See you next time.